Um, I just want to let you all know that uh, that uh, if, if you see me suddenly breaking out in a diabetic problem, uh, it's because this has just been an overwhelming Easter. Uh, we had a wonderful early service. Logan uh, led us through the scriptures in remembering our hope. We've talked about hope all morning this morning. Well, this morning I want to read from Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 36. And for those of you who are not familiar with the scriptures, the, the book of Acts is what happened after Jesus was resurrected. And in particular, we're reading really the, the first proclamation of what happened, how the church began to explain to the world what this day has meant, not just for the church, but for the entire creation. I ask you now to hear the word of God. And John, if you'll slide over just a little to your right. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep him. It's hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You have filled me with the joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what he was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God was or has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This is the word of God. You may be seated. This morning, as we look at this particular passage, um, I, I am being—I uh, am—I am actually doing something that has probably been accused of a lot of pastors throughout there. I, I think it's on. 
Nope. Is it on now? Thank you. Thank you, Logan. Appreciate that. Um, I've been accused, I'm being, or I should say, I am doing what pastors have been accused of for many years. Now that I am in 32 years of ministry, how many sermons can you preach on Easter? Right? I mean, honestly, Christ was, Christ was dead, Christ was risen, Christ is glorified. Well, uh, I want to make an admission. Can I make a confession to you this morning? Are you ready? This is just between me and you. I, I really am preaching someone else's sermon this morning. I'm preaching Peter's sermon, his first sermon from Acts chapter 2. And so as you and I begin to dig into this, I invite you to turn your Bibles and leave it open to chapter 2, verse 22, because in that sermon, we have for you this morning the message of the Easter, Easter season. We have for you the message that has changed the entire world, that has changed lives, that has caused men and women to do things they never would have done otherwise. And the most amazing thing about this is it deals with three things from the topics of what Peter brings up in these verses. And by the way, being a good Presbyterian, I, I know that I'm limited to about 10 minutes of a sermon, so I've had to really use about a third of Peter's sermon. If you notice, there's a little bit before and a little bit after what we're talking about in the text. But if from verse 22 through verse 36, there are three things that we find from this that are vitally important for you and I to understand concerning this Easter Sunday. And it's not important for someone else, it's important to you. Because if you have life of breath, if you have lungs that breathe this morning, there is coming a day when they will cease, the lungs will cease to operate. We know that just as every man and woman is born under heaven, we are also destined to die. We, we, we spend a lot of money trying to not make that happen. Some of you have club memberships, right? You go to the exercise. Some of you have been on diets. Some of you have been, been in uh, hair replacements. Some of you have been in teeth replacements. We do everything we can to prolong our life because life is precious to us, is it not? Well, the three things I want to cover with you this morning is I want you to understand from Peter's sermon the importance of this day to you in that death could not hold Jesus. And that secondly, God has made an oath. And that oath is for anyone who would listen and respond to him. The third point I want to cover this morning is that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. What does that mean? Let's start with the first point, and that point is important as we get through this, that death could not hold Jesus. As you go back to the text and you read it very carefully, it is really quite surprising how Peter has said something that everyone would have a hard time believing, and people still have a hard time believing today, that Christ was raised from the dead. If you look in verse 26, you will see that, that this man, Jesus, was handed over to be crucified. He was put, in, put on the cross. He was nailed there, and he was buried. But Peter makes an astounding claim that something happened there in that tomb that could not have happened to you or me or to anyone else in the world. That this, this miracle in verse 24 is the miracle that God did something to this man, Jesus, that did not allow him to continue what would be a, what for us a normal state. Look in verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep hold of him. Why was it impossible? 
Why was it impossible for death to hold Christ in the tomb? Look around you. Just look at the tombs that are all around this place. Why was it that Jesus was not entombed and still in the tomb today? And the answer is because when you look at his life and his teaching, he was more than just a prophet. He was more than just a good teacher. He was more than just a good moral man. He was someone who was the representation of God's presence. In fact, the Bible says in John that God was making himself known in and through and by Jesus Christ, that he is the visible representation of the immortal God. And you say, well, therefore, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that Jesus lived because he was God in the flesh. It was because he never sinned. Jesus never sinned. Can you imagine? He became flesh and yet was without sin. Well, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean... That, that we could possibly wrap our minds around all the truth that the scriptures proclaim. But this Jesus was someone who never, ever violated, cross, transgress, broke God's commandments. Can you say that? Been working through the, the book of Matthew, the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapter. It is the essence of Jesus' teaching. You might remember it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When you go through that list, you find that Jesus' teaching was a teaching where he was bidding people to tell the truth about their life. And the truth is that we have all fallen sin and fallen short of God's purpose for our life. And if you have a hard time admitting that this morning, you're not alone because that is the problem every human being has in the world. We all believe that we are good. And to prove it, I'll show you someone who's bad. You follow me? And so we have this idea that we can be right with God by some game of self-justification, by pointing God to people who are worse than we are. When the Bible clearly teaches, and we know in our hearts, that we all fall short of what God intended us to be. If you go a little further in Jesus' teaching, you find him really being quite purposeful in pointing that out when he says, You have heard it said, do not commit murder. But I say to you, if you have told your neighbor or called your brother Raka, fool, idiot, stupid, you're guilty of murder. I wonder what Jesus would say about people who drive on Interstate 77. Don't you? You see, the, the power of this passage is that God did something in Christ that, that warranted his acknowledgement as someone beyond normal. He never sinned. So that when he died, death could not hold him. Why? Because death is the judgment of sin. Death se Sin separates us from God. It separates us from each other. It separates us from our environment. It is the problem of the ages and no one has been able to solve it. What's happening in Ukraine and Russia at this very hour is a result of sin. 
what's happened in this world in every facet form, whether it's business, relationships, raising our children, you name it, whatever deals with human relationship, the problem is sin. And G.K. Chesterton, a philosopher of the last generation, said, there has been, there has never been more proof that sin is real and how it wreaks havocs in our life but is denied by everyone to be true. The glory of Easter is that Jesus never sinned. And because he never sinned, death could not hold him. Now here's the good news for you. Because it could not hold him, and because he lived a life of such righteousness and holiness, when you came to place your faith in Christ, God gave you what you could not earn. He gave you Jesus' righteousness so that death will not hold you. Do you hear me? So that when Christians die, we do not fear death. Why? Because we know we will not die. We will live with Christ forever. How do we know that? Turn to John chapter 14. Jesus is telling the disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare that place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Notice how it deals with personality and personal relationship. That this, this new life that Christ gives is not something you come and order from a drive through at a church. Just because you've come here this morning doesn't mean you are a Christian. Just like going to McDonald's does not make you a, a Big Mac. You become a Christian when you realize that you are not going to be raised from the grave. That you deserve the death that you will anticipate having. Because it is a judgment of God upon the whole human race for our rebellion and our rejection of God as God alone. Worthy of our love, our joy, our devotion, our worship. And yet God in his great infinite mercy for you and me. Out of his great compassion. For the lostness of our hearts. Under the power of sin. Came in human flesh. Suffered. Oh, I wish I could go through the suffering he went through in the cross. If you haven't seen the passion of the Christ, you should. Because it was the ravage of the wrath of God upon him. And he bore it on the tree, every bit of it for you and me. Death could not hold him. Why? Because he was sinless. And he's come so that he can claim you wash you in his blood, cleanse you through his power. You know, one of the favorite verses I love in the scriptures is found in Colossians. It says, because of our faith in Jesus, he has qualified us, qualified us to be blameless before him. But God, you don't know what I've done. God, who is rich in mercy, qualified me to inherit with the saints. 
The second point is just as powerful. It is that this God has swore an oath. I, I don't know about you. I didn't get married until later in life. But one of the things I find amazing is how God can do things amazingly in our lives, even when we are not looking for it. But I would distinctly remember one particular time where, where God had blessed me with a, with a conversation with a young man who, who I grew up with in my hometown. And he was just handsome and athletic. I mean, he had hair. He had muscles. He was, he, all the girls thought he was cute. And, and I just thought, man, if I could look like that one day, I'd be really happy with life. And I hadn't seen him in probably, probably 30 years. And he came to me with a twinkle in his eye, a twinkle. And he said to me, he said, how are you doing? And I, I, was, I was befuddled, an old man at 62. What could he possibly want to talk to me about? And as we talked, he began to talk about his life. He's now living in another state. And more than importantly, he was happy. He was filled with a joy. And he looked at me and, and he was drawn to talk to me. And finally, at, and it was a all things a funeral. Before the funeral started, he leaned over to me and he said, I want you to know what God has done for me. And I said, well, what is it? He said, I was hooked on cocaine. I've lost all my wife. I've lost my kids. I've lost everything. And I thought, and you're happy about this? Because he was smiling. And I looked at him and just thought, what, what's going on? What is he trying to say? He said, and I want you to know that God delivered me from cocaine. And I said, what? He said, I used to make fun of those people. You know, those people you see on TV who raise their hands and do kind of weird stuff, you know. I said, yeah. He said, I'm one of those people now. I said, what? He said, I'm, I, I worship I said, what, what happened? He said, all I can tell you is that I came to the end of my rope and I cried out for God for his mercy. And God, in that moment, chose to take away all my desire for cocaine. And I have never touched it again. And I just thought, he's been resurrected. He's been resurrected. God swore an oath. What oath did he give? He gave an oath that he was going to bring someone who would be able to do that work in that man's life. That he was going to be able to accomplish through sending one through David, the King David of the Old Testament. The, the, think of the guy who everyone looked back to for the good old days. Now, I know that's a dangerous thing to do in our day. Some of you aren't old enough to know what the good old days were. Some of you are too old to remember when the days might have been not as good as they were. But when you and I think about the good old days, we think about times when life was better than it is now, when life seemed to make sense, when there was less confusion and more understanding, when there was a lot more love and a lot less hate. There is a time when we look back and think, man, if I could only go back to those days, my life would be once again rich. And here's the message. In the Jew's life, 
that time was when David was king. And when David was king, they were a people who had a kingdom and they were known throughout the world as the one people who worshipped one God who was the God of heaven and earth, the creator of all men and women. And God said to him, David, I am going to put someone descended from your loins who is going to redeem the creation and bring it back to me. That's why we call him Messiah, anointed one. God would anoint a person who would come and do what no one can do. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not any person in the entire globe can do. And that is bring us back to God so that we're able to be declared righteous before him. Now think of this because it's very important that you think through this very clearly. I do not want to insult anyone. I do not want anyone to misunderstand me. Because every attempt for anyone to reach God is a noble attempt. But what good is it to reach for God if you can never achieve what God wants of you? And the message of Christ is you are incapable of saving yourself. And therefore, if you put your trust in me... I will save you. There's the promise. That's what God has sworn. More importantly, what God reveals to us, if you look in the 29th and the 31st verses, is that David saw this. That's what Peter is teaching us this morning. Look back at verse chapter 2, verse 29, and you'll see it very clearly that as Peter is preaching this message, he wants us to understand this isn't Peter's idea. It's not something he picked up somewhere in a brochure through the temple. He is wanting us to turn back to the Old Testament and see that, that this name, Jesus, was not something spoken just in the New Testament. It was anticipated in the Old he says in verse 29, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the David, that the patriarch David was buried and his tomb is still here to this day. Why does he quote that? Because he goes back to verse 16, or excuse me, Psalm 16, where David cries out and he says, I know that God will not allow his righteous to be forsaken and decaying in the grave. And David was speaking about himself. And Peter takes that verse and he says, listen, if David was talking about himself, he shouldn't be in the grave. But what he was talking about was the one whom God would swore to, to bring forth, this one who would come and he would not see decay. And because he would not see decay, everyone who perished from the face of the earth would one day be resurrected from the grave. Look in the verse 30, but he was a prophet, it says, and this is speaking of David when he wrote the Psalm 16. He was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne and seeing that was ahead. He spoke of the resurrection of Christ and he was not abandoned to the grave, meaning Jesus. Nor did his body see decay. What happened? On the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead. 
And the Bible goes on to teach that everyone who has this hope in him will one day be resurrected. Did you know that? That death is literally this, the tearing apart of the soul from the body. That those who die in the Lord are with God in heaven, but there's coming a day when Christ will come, the trumpet will sound, and all who have, I love this phrase Paul puts in Corinthians, fallen asleep. All who have fallen asleep will be raised from the grave. From the grave. Personally, I have put in my order for a full head of hair. One of the young men in youth group was kind of brushing his hair back this morning. The, the hair must be six inches tall. Just, just, and I'm thinking, what is that going to be like? Well, let me tell you, it won't be resuscitation. What do you mean it won't be resuscitation? It will not be this body. It will be a body that will be fit for eternity. We will be able to see and touch and know each other. But thank God I'll have some teeth, maybe, and some hair. How do I know this? Because of the resurrection when Jesus stood before the disciples after he was crucified, dead, and buried, and was raised. He ate fish with them on the shore. He told Thomas, Thomas, touch and see. And he stopped doubting and believed see it you say well why doesn't God do that now because he's giving you a chance to come to faith in him before that day comes because when that day comes no one no one no one will be able to be saved the age of the church will be over the message of the gospel will have done its work and God will bring an end to the age and a new heaven and a new earth will appear. It's a frightening image for those who aren't in Christ. I don't fear my death physically. I fear the thought of being eternally separated from everything that is good and right forever. Forever. And it won't be because a person didn't have a chance. It will be because that's what they wanted. That's exactly what they wanted. You see, this whole message of the gospel and the resurrection is that we were separated from God because of our sins. We were unable to save ourselves. No matter how many good works we've done, it's never enough. It can't remove the stain of sin. And because Christ came and died and was resurrected, he now gives to all those who believe in him his righteousness. So that, so to speak, we put on a new pair of, of clothes. We have this, this covering, this, this tremendous ability now to be in the presence of God because of what Christ did for us, he has not only died for our sins, he has clothed his people in righteousness so that as we stand before God, we have nothing to fear because he has declared us blameless before him who's loved us. Oh, the love of God. The overwhelming love of God. 
that he would do this for me. And I did not deserve it. Could not earn it. Had no ability to possess it. And God, rich in mercy, gave it to anyone who would repent and believe in his son. And that brings us to the final point. Are you looking at your watch? The final point, and that is that God has made Christ both Lord, or made Jesus both Lord and Christ. Why is that so important? Well, it's important for one reason. That if Jesus is not who he said he was, then we are just fooling ourselves in being here this morning. We ought to be out playing golf. If Jesus is not who he said he is, then we ought to be in every bar drinking up every kind of liquor we can find, filling our lives with every kind of sensual pleasure we can have because you would fall back upon the old Greek philosophy of eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you... But we won't. You see, God made you, now get this, God made you with a soul that will never die. Ever. The question is, where will that eternity be spent? And God's love for you, his desire for you, is that you would come to repentance and believe in Christ and be cleansed through the power of the cross. That's what he died, that's what he desires. That's what he wants for you. But it takes a step of faith. What do you mean? You must reach out for the gift that God is offering to you this morning. You must come to him, Jesus. Not to the pastor. Not to a church. You must come to Jesus. And you must ask him for that gift. And it's a very simple thing. God, I know I'm not what you meant for me to be. I have done things that I know morally are so far from what is good. And I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me. And Christ, come into my life. I will follow you. Because that's what it means to say that Jesus is Lord. You are saying he has all authority and power. Whatever he says is true. If he says up is up and down is down, up is up and down is down. If he says he created you as a man, he created you as a male. If he created you as a female, you are a female. If he says, I've meant marriage between two people who are opposite sex forever and for life, that's exactly what he said. It's what is true. You see, our culture doesn't believe any of this, does it? It doesn't believe any of this. Why? Because the Bible says that the world is plunged into a darkness of sin and men and women are blinded by their sins to the glory of God. And God, knowing that darkness, would not sit back and let it happen. He sent Christ into the world, the light of the world, to bring this knowledge of salvation to you. And so this morning, it's really now in your court. What will you do with this knowledge? You know that death could not hold Jesus because he never sinned. The only person 
and that his death was for the sin of anyone who would believe in him. You know that God has sworn an oath that anyone who would trust in the Lord would be saved. And you now know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he has been given all authority and power so that the Bible says that before the end of this age, when he appears, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What? That Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Amen? Would you pray with me? Our gracious Father, we thank you for the joy of Easter. For those words from the scriptures that speak of the eternal power of God in the cross and in his resurrection of Jesus from the grave. We thank you, Father, that you tell us that whoever has this hope in them will be like him when he reappears. That Jesus was just not resuscitated from the grave. He didn't breathe air once again into his lungs as he did before his death. He was glorified in such a way that he will never die again because he lives eternally. And that through him, you offer that same gift to all those who would believe. Well, there may be someone in the sound of my voice this morning who's suddenly become to realize the truth of this word and they need you, Christ. You can simply ask the Lord in this moment to enter your life. And if you do, we would love to help you by giving you information on how to grow in this walk with Christ. But my friends, you have heard the gospel. You must make a decision. My prayer is that you will hear his voice. And you will come to him who loves you who can cleanse you, forgive you, and cause you like the old friend I talked about who was delivered from, from an addiction, that you will be born again and resurrected from the death of sins. We thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. We thank you for Jesus. Lord of heaven and earth. And the people of God said together,